First Peter chapter 2. Pastor Rob has been going through the book of Revelations, and rightly so, considering the times that we're living in and going through these days. And those studies have been excellent. And I think no matter what we're going through or what our opinions are, there's one thing that everybody can agree on, and that's that we are going through some weird times right now, uh, like never before. I shouldn't really say that. I was talking to somebody this morning. People, I hear people say, things have never been worse. Actually, they have been worse. Uh, if you look at history, if you read the Old Testament, uh, things have been worse. But we are going through some strange times right now. And spiritual deception is mounting and rising. And we should be aware of the times that we're going through. Uh, but we should also be thankful, and I am thankful, that there is still order in the world today. That we haven't destroyed ourselves yet. Uh, there's still a semblance of order. Uh, you would never know it from watching the news. According to them, if you turn on the news, you know their message is, we're all going to die, there's no hope. Uh, listen to us and be afraid. That, that's pretty much the message of the media today. Um, but there is still order. In, in our neighborhood, a couple of months ago when all the demonstrations were going on, at the corner of our street, uh, there were like three stores that got looted. And I'm sitting on the front porch watching this, and it was crazy. There's, you could hear it, what was going on, and there's cars running up and down. People are running down the street with television sets, and they're throwing them in cars and taking off. It, it was crazy. It was crazy. Fortunately, I was able to watch it from the safety of my front porch. And it, it was like a little look into what anarchy is like. But the next day, the sun came out. People went to work, everybody came out, it was garbage day, the, the trucks came through, picked up the garbage, the lights were still on, there, there's still, the police came, the police department hadn't been abolished yet, thank God, uh, there, there was, an order was restored that day. And the Lord gives us tokens for good. And i got to mention this. I had to take someone to the medical center for an appointment, an elderly person. And I couldn't be more impressed the way the healthcare workers, what, you talk about a token for good, especially the young people who were treating these elderly patients. It was amazing how good they were. Uh, they're still ordered. Um, but the fact that there is still order in the world is manifold evidence of the grace of God. The fact that there is still order. The fact that we haven't burned everything down. The fact that we haven't destroyed the planet completely. It is just total manifest evidence of the grace of God. God's restraining hand is still on the earth today. He is restraining. In Second Thessalonians it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now, is, who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. God is still restraining. Thank the Lord. But we can see that his hand is slowly being lifted. He's slowly lifting his hand. Spiritual deception is growing. Uh, even common sense and reason is vanishing from this world. But nothing is going to stop what the scriptures say is going to happen. And Jesus told us that we should be aware, that we should discern the seasons and the times that we're in. We should know what's happening and where we are in history. 
Peter said, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And that's one of the reasons why we should know and be discerning of the times that we're in. So we can be serious and watchful in our prayers. Uh, know the times and seasons so we can cry out to our God. And, you know, whenever you talk about end times, uh, there's the temptation uh, to go through the whole litany of things that are wrong. To just go all the evidence that we are in the last days. There, there's a temptation to go through the whole thing. And the, and the list is a mile long. It's like every day you read the paper or you listen to the news and some new insanity comes out. And the temptation is to go just to list those things. But that is just way too depressing. So we're not going to do that today. But we need to consider these things. And there are a ton, if you know, there are a lot of really good prophecy updates on the internet, on YouTube. But, but even that, you, you listen, you know, I was listening to one and the guy was right on and everything he said was true, but it was like an hour of one thing after another. This is happening and this is happening and this, and by the time he was done, it's like somebody shoot me. It, it's, it's like there, there's no hope. But we do need to consider these things. But if that's all we're considering, if we are overwhelmed simply by the evidence that we are in the last days, it can produce fear and anxiety and anger in us as Christians. And none of which is God's desire for his people. There's one thing that's important. We need to be aware of the times and seasons that we're living in, but there's also something that is just as important, if not more important, and that's to know what are we as Christians supposed to be doing during this time? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to respond to these times and to the growing insanity that we see around us? And so that's what kind of what we're going to be talking about today, Lord willing. Is, is and Peter, we're going to read in Peter as he tells us what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be during these times. Uh, and as we go through these things, there is one thing that we need to remember above all other things. Scripture says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, the things that we're going to be talking about today, the things we're supposed to be doing, the way that we're supposed to be, can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And we need to remember that at all times. It's by my spirit, says the Lord, not by our flesh. So, number one thing, what are we supposed to be doing in these days when we see all these things happening? And the temptation is to give in to fear and anxiety and anger. The number one thing, pray for the Holy Spirit. That's what we are supposed to be doing. And we could end the Bible study right there. Pray for the Holy Spirit. So, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, First of all, he's begging. He's saying, you guys are sojourners and pilgrims. You're just passing through, and I beg you. I beg you. I'm not commanding you. I'm not necessarily telling you what to do or laying some trip on you. He's saying, I beg you. I beg you. 
Such was his care for God's people. Uh, not commands, but he's begging. He's begging that they wouldn't miss out on what the Lord had for them. And these people that he's writing to were going through worse times than we are. And, and he's begging them, don't miss out on what God has for you. Don't suffer loss in any way. Get everything that God has for us, eternal life. Uh, Ephesians, it says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't miss out. He's, he's begging us, know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. And when we say that to our children, you know, we beg you, know Christ, read the word, pray, have a relationship, believe in Jesus Christ. We beg you. And, you know, that's the way we should be when we're witnessing or sharing with people. You know, we don't come on like, we know everything, or you, you need to do this, because that's, people will turn right off with that. And people don't like being told what they need to do. But we beg you. We're, we're begging you. Don't leave this life without Christ. And, and when we have that attitude, when we have that love and that concern for other people, they see it. You know, they may hear us and think, this person's crazy, and I don't believe anything they say, but I can tell they, they, they're concerned. I can tell that they're concerned about me. We beg you, don't be overcome by what you see and hear, but be overcome by the sovereignty, grace, and peace of our Lord. You know, in these days that we're living in, Peter's like, we beg you, don't be overcome by CNN or Fox News or newspapers or politicians or politics, but be overcome by the grace and peace of our Lord. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading with us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's pleading, begging. He says, as though God were pleading with us, as though God were begging his creation, be reconciled to God. There is nothing else. To say that there's nothing more important than that is the understatement of the year. There is nothing else. There are things in this life. Go to school, get a job, have a family, enjoy life, enjoy all the ways that God has blessed us. But we need to be reconciled to God. Ultimately, there is nothing else. To have peace with God and to have the peace of God. You know, what, is there anything better? What could be better than to know for sure that you have peace with God, that you're his child? If we're not reconciled to God, there is no life in us. Humanity fell and we were born separated from God. Born sinners that need to be redeemed. You know, in Sunday school, we tell the kids that sin is like falling into a hole. And, and if you stay in the hole, you're going to die. And there's, the only way to get out of the hole is, number one, you have to realize and admit, admit that you're in the hole. You have to cry out for help, and there has to be someone strong enough to lift you up. We were born in a hole, and there is someone strong enough to lift us up. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I've heard people say, well, I'm not that bad. I, you know, I haven't done anything deserving of hell. Have you rejected Christ? Have you received Christ? Or have you rejected him? If you've rejected him, then you are deserving of hellfire. 
because of what happened on Calvary. We need to be reconciled. God's standard is perfection. And the only way that we can be perfect is we have to be made perfect. Our sins have to be taken away through faith in Christ. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. John said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so if there's anybody hearing this, we beg you, be reconciled to God. And he says, as pilgrims and sojourners, and this is another thing that we have to realize living in these times that we're living in, uh, we've got to realize that we are passing through this life. We're passing through this earth. We have a destination. This is not our home. Our home is the kingdom of heaven. Everything in this world is temporary. <clears throat> everything we see, everything we hear, every relationship, everything that we have an emotional attachment to is all temporary. Our home, our destination is eternal. Pastor Bill always used to say, keep a light touch on the things of this earth. We're passing through. We have to realize that. But to not be overwhelmed by what's going on in the world around us, we have to realize this isn't our home. There's going to, those things are going to come to an end, and we're, just, we're passing through. Enjoy and be thankful for what God has given you in this life, and he has blessed us in every way. But as John would say in his epistle, flee idolatry. Our peace, our joy, our sense of well-being, our love is from God alone and nothing else. Be thankful for what God has given us, but flee idolatry, especially during this time. Scripture says, all flesh is as grass. It's temporary. The insanity that we see going around us, the, the upheaval, the pandemics, whatever comes, all these evidences that we're living in the last days, uh, they all have an end. All flesh is as grass. These bodies, this flesh, it's like grass. It has an end. And all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, all the glory that humanity has created, created, all the great works of art and literature and music, architecture, technology, medical, all the good things that humanity has come up with is the glory of the field, the glory of the grass. And it goes on and says, the grass withers and its flower falls away. There is an end. There is an end to everything on this earth. Life will continue, but there's going, there is an end to this age. And he ends with this, that we need to have in our hearts, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's the only thing that does. Everything we see is temporary. Everything we hear is temporary. Enjoy it. Be thankful for it, the good stuff. But know that the only thing that endures forever is this, our anchor. And so Peter says, as sojourners and pilgrims, I beg you, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And that's another thing we're supposed to be doing while we're passing through this, this age and in this time when we see things going crazy around us. Abstain from fleshly lusts. As long as we are in this flesh, there's going to be a battle. We know this. Galatians, Paul says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So abstain from fleshly lusts. How do we abstain from fleshly lusts? 
The Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy. That's how we end up abstaining, is by being in the presence of God, spending that time with him, being in the word, being in his presence. And we pray that for our children, that they will experience that. Opening God's word and hearing his voice and just being in his presence and having that joy. Jesus said to, says to every single Christian that he calls, he says, follow me. And that means obedience. Following Jesus means obedience. But it means even something more than that. It means being with him. Being with him. Just sitting at his feet and being in his presence. And we will find ourselves walking in the Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again, walk in the Spirit. You know, how do we walk in the Spirit? If we are spending time with the Lord, prayerfully meditating on his word and fellowship with him, we will find ourselves walking. You will be walking in the Spirit. So it means being with him. And we have to make a choice. Uh, when temptation entices us to sin, there's something we should ask ourselves. How much is this going to cost me? Am I willing to trade unbroken fellowship with my Savior? The peace that, am I willing to trade the peace that passes all understanding with the Lord for this? Whatever this is that is enticing us to sin. And then we have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. The more we hear the word of God, the more we pray. And we should be praying, not just be hearing, but as we always say, doing what God says. Praying that his word would be planted in our heart. That we don't just hear it with our ears and our mind, but supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, that when we read his word, that those words are planted in our hearts and fruit grows. They produce fruit by the Spirit. That's when the flesh starves. The things we see in these last days are but for a moment, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Verse 12, it says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Here's another thing we're supposed to be doing as Christians during this time that we're in the last days. Having our conduct honorable around the people around us. Being a witness by our lives. Being blameless. Uh, in Philippians, it says, do all things without complaining. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Being blameless. It doesn't mean being sinless, but as we go through this life and we're in school and we're at work and we're in our neighborhoods, nobody should be able to point a finger at us and say, hypocrite to be blameless, that people would see that we're saved by grace, that we're real and not phonies, that we fear God. And because we fear God, our desire, overwhelming desire, is to do what is right in the sight of God. Peter also goes on, he says, that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they do, uh, born-again, fundamentalist Bible thumpers are not spoken well of in our culture today. Uh, we are the enemy of Babel that is trying to be built. There are people on the left who are trying to build a tower of Babel without God, and there are people on the right who are trying to build a tower of Babel in the name of the Lord. But it's all Babel. 
and fundamentalist Christians, Bible-believing Christians who know and live and believe the word of God are a detriment to that. It's weird to talk about those on the left and those on the right because the majority of people are in the middle somewhere, either a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. Uh, but if you look at history, it only takes a handful of people to turn a nation upside down. Uh, we are hindering the establishment of the lie that is disguised as utopia. People speak evil of born-again believers because they have not received the love for the truth, and they're offended because of what we believe. The things they celebrate, we say that God, that's not what God intended, that it's sin, that it's not to be celebrated. Uh, that what the world celebrates, we say, is missing the mark. And you can also can't discount any mistakes the church has made, false doctrines coming in that have hindered the gospel. The sin that Jesus most verbally condemned was religious hypocrisy. You know, do we think that we're better than others? When we see the people around us get to know them, see the things that are going on in this world, do we think that we're better than others? Are we walking in the spirit? and esteeming others better than ourselves, as the Bible tells us to. Peter goes on, and he says that they, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, we need to pray for open doors, not only to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with people, but to do good works, to do good works. Colossians, Paul says, meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. God has to open the door. If God doesn't open the door for doing a good work in him or sharing the gospel, then nothing happens. It has to be the Lord. And it's hard for people to speak evil of someone if that person is showing them kindness. It's hard to speak evil of someone if they bring groceries over or give you a ride or mow your lawn for you or babysit. Do a good work. Uh, we have intimate contact every single day with the people around us. At work, school, we need to pray for open doors to do what is good. Do good to all. And another thing that we're supposed to be doing in these days, in verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Historically, we know that when Peter was writing to these people, this was a time when Nero was emperor, and Christians were facing a lot more than we are facing today. Uh, they were, authorities were becoming less and less tolerant of Christians. In some places, they weren't allowed to make a living. They weren't allowed to sell in the marketplaces. They weren't allowed to participate in civil activities. They couldn't get involved in government. Uh, Non-Christians were inciting the, the authorities against Christians, accusing them of all sorts of abominable things. It was tough times. And, but Peter says, submit to the authorities for the Lord's sake. We obey God to the exclusion of any other authority. But Jesus said, or 
Paul, Peter says, submit to the authorities so that they will not be able to slander you. So don't give anyone a reason to speak evil of you. Don't do anything dumb. Don't do anything that's not necessary, that the gospel is not hindered, because we have a higher calling. I am thankful for the freedom that we have in this country. I mean, there's no place like it. We have freedom of speech. We can sit here today and assemble and worship God. We have freedom, but freedom cannot be our God. And I'm thankful for the rights that we have in this country. Very thankful for the rights. And it's heartbreaking to see our rights slowly deteriorating. But our rights cannot be our God. That would be idolatry. You got to ask yourself, <clears throat> what were things like when Jesus was on earth and how did he react to them? Uh, things were not good when Jesus was here. Uh, oppression, people talk about oppression today. People talk about social injustice, persecution, loss of rights. What's going on today is nothing compared to what was going on in Israel when Jesus was here. They were an occupied country. It was brutal. It was brutal. The authority was brutal. You had no rights. No rights whatsoever. The, impress the oppression was intense. Any cry of oppression or social injustice today is nothing compared to that time. There is an account in the Bible where Pilate, the governor, went in and he murdered a group of people. And then he took their blood and went into the temple, the house of worship, and he poured their blood of the people that he murdered on their sacrifices. I don't think Kumo has done that yet. Not yet. No, he would never do that. But it was bad. Jesus was dealing, the, the people there were dealing, the, the oppression that was going on then is, to what's going on today is nothing compared to them. And you have to look and say, what did Jesus say about this? What did Jesus say about the political and social things that were going on at that time? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he said anything about them. He had a higher calling. He had a higher calling. He had a higher purpose and he wouldn't allow any secondary considerations, no matter how valid and no matter how necessary, to interfere with that purpose, with that higher purpose that, he's been called, that he was called to. We have a higher purpose on this earth. To worship God in spirit and truth and to go into all the wor world and preach the gospel to share the words of eternal life with the people around us. That is our purpose. That's why we're here, to worship God and to share the truth with the people around us, to a dying world. That's our purpose. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote. There, to my mind, there's no reason for not voting. I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils. We're talking about politicians. Will it ever be not the lesser of two evils? I would rather live with the lesser of two evils. And I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't run for office. I, I wish, I pray, it'd be great if we had people in authority and people in office, men and women who were men and women of prayer. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak out. 
reasonable voices on every side of every issue need to be heard. But never forget, we have a higher calling, and everything else is secondary. The politics, even the social issues, everything else is secondary to what we've been called to do, to the kingdom that we live in. Every other issue or event, no matter how valid, is secondary. Uh, People say we can't compromise. We have to speak up for righteousness, and that's true. We do. We cannot compromise, and we have to speak up for righteousness. The question is how. How do we do it? We have a higher calling. We have to realize something. When we get into, I have a tendency to get into arguments with people and because I love arguing, and uh, they always end up in shouting matches, especially in my family. And uh, we love yelling at each other and, and debating. Uh, but we have to realize something. When we get in discussions with people on secondary issues, politics, social issues, even though they're valid issues, when we get in discussions about these, true righteousness as spoken in the word of God has little or no meaning to anyone who does not have a true faith in Christ. They're just not going to get it. We have a higher calling. And again, every other issue, no matter how valid, is secondary. Look at the attitude of Paul. I'll just read it to you. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, we are not bound by politics or ideologies of this world. Our peace and our well-being is not tied to any institution on this earth. That's not where we get our peace. We live in the kingdom of God, and we are free in the light of Christ. So Paul says, I'm free from all men. I have ma- Even though I'm free, I have made myself a servant or slave to all that I might win the more. I have made myself a servant. In these days, that's what we're supposed to be, servants. Servants of the Lord, bond servants of Christ. Willingly, Lord, your will be done. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. He says, and to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, I became as without law, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. It's an amazing statement. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means win some. He had a higher calling, and everything else was secondary. We don't compromise truth. We walk in truth. Any issue or event is secondary to the sharing of the gospel by our lives and by our words, because it has to do with eternity. Everything else is temporary and has an end. If you are a Christian and you are supporting a particular presidential candidate, you have every right to do so. You have the right to do so. It is your right and no one can tell you what to do. It is your right to support the candidate of your choice. But whatever we do, whatever we say, I think we have to ask ourselves, is my manner, are my words, are my priorities hindering the gospel? And in many cases, they are. Paul had very strong convictions concerning what were, back then, very contentious issues. The law, 
the lack of the law? Are we under the law? These were issues that were dividing people and were contentious. And Paul had definite convictions about these things. But he would not engage in lesser battles. He had a higher calling. Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That's our calling. That's what we are supposed to be doing. That's what we should live for. And we should have peace, knowing that everything else is secondary. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. By doing good, you put to silence. I heard recently of a family that had a medical issue, and this family were not believers. And not only were they not believers, but they had no love for fundamentalist Christianity. But someone who is a Christian had the opportunity, because he's in the medical field, to help them. And he helped them out quite a bit. That family now, no one in that family will ever ever be able to say anything but good about that person because of what he did, because of good works. We do good works, not for praise. We don't do good works to get people to like us, but to open doors, and that people will listen when the gospel is preached. It speaks of people seeing what we do, and it also speaks, maybe even more importantly, that people see what we are, who we are. It speaks of walking in the Spirit. Do people see the fruit in our lives? Do people see the joy the peace, the love. Peter said, who is going to harm you if you become followers of what is good? The question is, what are we like? Are we becoming more Christ? Are we we becoming more political? Are we becoming more militant? Or are we we becoming more Christ-like? Jesus said in Matthew, he said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The question is, are we sending rain on the just and the unjust? That's our higher calling. That's our priority. There's a woman who goes to this church who uh, worked in a healthcare facility. And she was constantly working with this other woman. And this other woman was pretty rowdy, not a believer. And the Christian woman always wanted to share the gospel with her. She prayed for her, wanted to share the gospel with her, but she never did, for whatever reason. Maybe never had the opportunity. I don't know why she didn't, but she didn't. Sometime later, that woman got saved. And they met, and they were talking about it, and the woman said, what got me saved was I was watching you. And I came to the conclusion, I want what you have. The woman didn't say a word to her during that whole time. But I was watching you. You know, I was watching you when things were crazy. I watched you when, you know, I could see that you had every right to be angry. And I was watching you. And I wanted what you have. And she got saved. I heard someone say that they have a neighbor who is very rowdy. In fact, they said, if you look up heathen in the dictionary, this guy's picture is there. You know, every other word 
is the word that everybody uses all the time today. Very rowdy. And, but they're neighbors, and they would talk. And they would mostly talk about football because this guy was a New England fan, and the other guy was a Buffalo fan, and they would harass each other. And, but eventually, one day, the, the talk got turned to religion. And they were talking, and this person, the Christian, got to share with this guy, got to share the simple gospel. And the guy listened. You know, there was no <clears throat> conversion, but he heard. And the guy said to him, you know, my brother is a born-again Christian. And he goes to this church, and he's always preaching at me, and he's always telling me what I got to do. Don't do this. Do this. He's always telling me, and he says, we always end up arguing and shouting at each other. And he says, I don't even want to hear it anymore. But he said to his neighbor, he said, but I like talking to you. You're normal. <laughs> I enjoy talking to you, he said. Uh, and some would say, well, when the world says that we're normal, we have a problem. Because we're not normal. Let's face it. But not necessarily. If the world is calling us normal because we're compromising or doing dumb things, then we have a problem. But I think you can exchange the word normal for approachable. This guy was approachable. You know, what, what are we like? Not compromising truth, but are we approachable? I was thinking today, you know, are we glad to see people at work? Do people know that we're glad to see them? You know what an impression that makes on people? Because most of the time, you know, who's glad to see me? Most of the time, people are not glad to see each other. But if there's someone at work and you see them coming and they know that you're glad to see them, they're like, what is wrong with this person? What is up with him? I'm not even glad to see me. And this person is glad to see me. Uh, does our manner preach the gospel or does it hinder it? Are we real? Do we exude grace? Verse 16, he says, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, not receiving the grace of God in vain. We are free, but not abusing the grace of God. That is the witness of our lives to people. It's receiving grace and the grace having an effect in our lives. I have a terrible illustration for this. Uh, you're driving through Ellison Park, and there are speed limit signs all over the place, 30 miles an hour. You're going 60 miles an hour. You get pulled over, and you go before the judge, and you are declared guilty. The judge says, you are guilty. You, you couldn't be more guilty about this. You were speeding. But the judge says to you, but for no discernible reason, except that I am an unbelievably nice guy, even though you're guilty, I declare you not guilty. And not only that, but from now on, if you ever happen to speed through Ellison Park again, I declare you not guilty for the rest of your life. But know that the speed limit was put up there for a reason, to keep people safe. So drive the speed limit. I'm not going to make you pay for what you did or will do, but I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to injure anyone else. I don't want you to ruin your life or anybody else's. So drive the speed limit. That person should walk out of that courtroom, first of all, thankful and rejoicing. And also, they should have a fervent desire that they never had before to drive the speed limit. Romans 
It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I used to read that, okay, <clears throat> there's no condemnation if we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say if. He says who. If you are in Christ, if you are born again, then you are walking according to the Spirit to some degree. We may unfortunately go over the speed limit and we will get hurt whenever we do. But those who are in Christ cannot practice it. The Spirit of God lives in us. Jesus took the eternal punishment for our transgressions. He didn't condemn us. He condemned our sin. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The only real response to the gospel is an overwhelming, willful, and joyous desire to obey God. Verse 17 Peter says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Here's another thing that we're supposed to be doing as Christians during these crazy times, these end times that we're living in. Honor all people, love the brotherhood. We are called to unconditionally love one another. If we know how much Jesus loves us, then we will love others with no, with no set conditions, especially those in the church. John said, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the, the church. We need to pray, Lord, make us a light on a hill that cannot be hidden, that people would see that there's no craziness here, that there's reason, that there's truth, that there's love, that there is something here in the church, in the body of Christ, that isn't out there. He says, respect all people, honor. That means respect all people. That's a tough one. Respect all people. That includes the people in my neighborhood who were lighting off fireworks at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, Lord, can I call fire down from heaven and just, you know, fry them? No, honor and respect all people. There are people in this world today, in our culture, there are people whose ideologies and actions, I believe they're steering this country to destruction. They're bringing us to an end. And there are people around us every day who support this, who have been brainwashed. And we are to honor and respect all people, all people. We don't have to agree with them, but we are to love them, honor people, and respect everyone. Because God says to, we have a higher calling than getting involved in secondary issues or battles. Our worldview concerning things of this world, how we look at social issues and politics and anything else that has to do with this world, our worldview is der derived from Scripture, from what we know the Word of God says. But our defense and our, our trying to put forth our worldview is not as important as how we treat people. We have a higher calling. Verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, and not only to the good and gentle, <clears throat> excuse me, but also to the harsh. Man, servants, slaves. You know, back in those days, 
The slavery here that he's speaking of was economic slavery. You owed somebody money or you were destitute. You sold yourself into slavery. You know, talk about losing your rights. Talk about oppression, becoming a slave. And Peter's saying here, submit to your masters with all respect. You have a higher calling. Uh, all their rights were taken away. They were oppressed. You know, Paul would say, if you have the opportunity to be free, take it. But if you are a slave, you know you have lost all your rights and you are oppressed. Submit to your masters. This goes against our very being as human beings. Nothing could be more alien. But do this, the apostles tell us, the Spirit tells us, because we have a higher calling. And everything else, even this, is secondary. And because... As a servant, as a bond servant, you are in the position to reflect that light. Uh, I have to say, I was listening to somebody on YouTube, and they were giving a talk, and this guy was an atheist, and one of the reasons he doesn't believe, he said, because the Bible condones slavery, he said. The Bible does not condone slavery. A person who says that has not read the whole Bible. It does not condone slavery. The kind of slavery that this country practiced, that this country was engaged in, is spoken of in the Bible. It's spoken of in the law in the Old Testament. And the penalty for engaging in the kind of slavery that this country engaged in was death. It was a capital punishment. The Bible does not condone slavery. But we have a higher calling. No matter what oppression we're under, no matter what hardship, no matter what happens with government or politics or social issues or anything, we have a higher calling. Verse 19, he says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it, if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I am thankful for the freedom and rights we have in this country. And I'm thankful for those who have a platform and are defending those rights. But as Christians, if defending our rights has become our purpose, we're fighting the wrong battle. And we're fighting with the wrong weapons. Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Romans 12, it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but have regard for good things in the sight of all men. This is what we are supposed to be doing. This is our priority during these times. First, Thess yeah. First Thessalonians. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. First Peter, not returning evil for evil, or reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus said, Follow me, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. <clears throat> of all the abominable injustices that have been inflicted on humankind since the beginning of time, nothing compares with the crucifying of the Son of God. No injustice compares 
to what Jesus suffered. What are we to do in these times? Verse 23, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Lord, help us to do this, to accomplish that higher calling that we have and not get bogged down with the things of this earth. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul, overseer of your souls. Uh, if you want to know what days we are living in, you know, are we in the end times? Just look around. Watch the news. Read the newspapers. Look and see. And you'll see. We are. We are in the birth pangs, definitely, of what's going on. If you want to know what to do during these times, if you want peace during these times, read the word of God. First and Second Peter is a good place to start. Jesus said, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. The harvest is great, and the harvest has never been greater. We have a whole generation of young people who are embedded in this culture that we have now. They look on the notion of sin and the need for redemption as offensive, and at best a joke. God, help us to pray. He said, the laborers are few. Bible-believing, true Bible-believing, fundamentalist Christians are in a minority in this country today, in this world today. I, yeah. Uh, we're in the minority. The laborers are few. You know, I, I look at myself, and I see weakness. And I see, because of pride, the fear of man. Uh, Lord, make the strong, make the weak strong. And make us brave. Deliver us from the fear of anything to fear you alone. Take our lives. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpent, serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep among wolves. Don't stand much of a chance. You know, what's the only way a lamb or a sheep can survive among wolves? <clears throat> only by following the shepherd only by staying as close to the shepherd as they can, only by hiding behind the shepherd, only by clinging to the shepherd can a lamb survive among wolves. What are we supposed to be doing in these days? Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Yeah, we know we see the things going on around us, and it's depressing, and it can cause fear, and it can cause anxiety, and it can cause anger. But the Bible says, the word of God says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know, why are we going to heaven? Why can we approach the throne of God in prayer boldly? Why can we have rest and have peace during these times in Christ alone? That's the place that God wants to bring each one of us to, in Christ alone. It says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing, 
Man, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious about anything. How? How can we not be anxious, not anxious? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray, prayer. We pray. We take those things that are causing us to be anxious and fearful and anger, angry or whatever, and we lift them up to God in prayer. Uh, we wake up every morning. Uh, morning. Mornings for me are the best time. I love mornings. Getting out of bed is not the best time. Uh, for me, it's more like falling out of bed. You know, we fall out of bed, uh, we sit on the edge of the bed, and, and immediately, for me, it's like, okay, what do I got to do today? What are the challenges today? I got to do this, I got to do that. What's going to happen? Boy, I hope this doesn't happen. You know, what if, what if, what if, what if? The Bible says that we are to live by faith. Faith doesn't dread the day. It looks forward to it. Because our God is good, and he is sovereign, and he loves us. Lord, help us to live by faith. Be anxious for nothing, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Pray, and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't be overwhelmed by the evil that is happening around us. Don't be overcome by evil, as the Bible says, but overcome evil with good. We live in weird times. Ephesians, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit, that these things that you tell us, Lord, how we are supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing during these times. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord. Bring us close to you. We pray for all your children, Lord, that your peace would flood our hearts, your joy would flood our hearts, your love would flood our hearts, that we would be those lights on a hill, Lord, we pray, in the midst of the darkness of this world. So, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Bring us back to you. Bring us close to you, Lord. We pray your will be done. And we thank you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.